0: starts now.
1: I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert and together we're the Sales Enablement Insiders. Today we're going to do a special edition to help our audience be the most equipped and prepared to navigate these trying times. Insider Nation, we're going to focus this episode on helping make sense out of what's going on, explaining what you should expect to happen, providing you with actionable insights you can take on in and, and, and order to help your business improve. And I'm gonna hand it over to Scott in a minute, but before I do, I wanna orient you to the flow of this call. What we're gonna do on this episode is run a panel of amazing experts whom we will introduce. This conversation is gonna be pretty strategic in nature to provide you with a lot of context and clear ideas. That's right, Brian. As part
2: of our panel, what we're trying to do is create a format. There's so many different variables going on. We wanna be able to give you lots of perspectives, the opportunity to synthesize it, and the perspective and the voice of sales might react to it.
1: Yeah, that's great, I love that. And we've got quite a, quite a diverse group today. And as part of Insider Nation, you know that Scott and I are encouraging you to wear this, this bifocal lens, You know, balancing strategy with tactics. And at the end of each section, I'm gonna summarize this pretty strategic conversation into something that I believe you should take away, and what it really means to you as a sales enablement leader, Scott. Why don't you introduce folks to the to our listeners?
2: Okay, so let's get started. So we're going to introduce our panel, and I'm super excited that um, we have friends, <laughs> uh, fr- friends of the show. And when you get to introduce these these folks, you're going to be really impressed as well. So first up is Dr. Howard Dover, and actually it was. Howard's idea for us to do something like this in the first place. So if it goes well, he gets all the credit, and if it goes poorly, it's clearly Brian and I's poor execution. That's right. Oh, so that's 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 the way <laughs> things that's the way things roll. But I first met Howard at the founding meeting of the Sales Enablement Society at the Breakers in Palm Beach in November 2016. And if you know anything about that, there were a hundred people there all trying to figure out what is the sales enablement thing? Should we form a, a volunteer organization to, to share information? And there were two economists sitting at a table together. Of course, they didn't go and mingle. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I was there, too. And I'm not sure uh, you're not including uh, Howard in that, are you? Was he an economist or a professor? Did I say economist? <laughs> yeah, I meant... I meant uh, uh, So there we go. I meant
2: academics, right? Uh, That's all right. I
1: got you. I got you. He's going to you're going to have to buy him a drink now, though.
2: He's a he's a classically trained economist turned sales and marketing professor. And one of the things that's amazing about him is he's the director. His official title is the director of the Center of Sales and Sales Coaching, uh, working out of the University of Texas, Dallas. Now this group and what what he does he's done some amazing innovative things which we're going to get to hear about he's he's involved in many programs of studying sales and the impact of it just incredibly honored that he's joining us
3: thanks Scott that that was very kind Um, as as Brian knows we know a lot of people in our sales industry so there's a lot of really amazing people and you know I I remember the the experience I had to go to the Breakers a good friend of mine that I do research with Rob Peterson. And I were studying sales enablement. And when we saw that conference, I got on the phone with Rob and I said, Hey, we, we need, we need to go. And he said, are you kidding me? We don't have expense accounts. We can't go to the breakers. And I said, just, just go figure out. I'm going to be there. You need to go. And the two of us showed up. And I remember Scott was saying, you know, something, many of you know, Scott, so Scott was talking and he was trying to get the group to discuss and, and he was sitting kind of right next to me. And and I just looked at him and I finally just said, We're acting like this whole thing's gonna stay the way it is. So it's, we at UT Dallas, we obviously uh, tried to, ho- we were part of hosting your first conference here in Dallas to allow the, the first Sales Enablement Society uh, event. And so that's enough about me. I'm sure we'll get into other details in a little bit. Yeah, so let me add a little bit of color to that, uh, that
2: moment. What was actually happening is Scott wasn't talking. Scott was facilitating a lot of dialogue with a lot of people, uh, Mr. Dover. Yeah. Uh, I degraded the doctor there on that, on that part. But really what, what happened is uh, we got into this point of a lot of people were talking about things the existing way. And Howard asked the question, well, why are we assuming we're going to be organized the same way that we've always been organized? And that's a great question. And to me, that's the value of having lots of perspectives. Nobody in a corporate world would think to ask that question. And having the courage to put it out there allows us to think. And this is the kind of value of having uh, multiple perspectives and and bringing it together. So the next uh, panelist I'd like to introduce is Kunal. Uh, and Kunal and I have worked together consistently since 2008. He's held many sales enablement and operational roles in companies like HP, VMware, Informatica, and Info- Infoblox. He was actually a regular attendee of the thing before the Sales Enablement Society. The official title was the, local area, the DC Local Area Sales and Marketing Networking Group, which, of course, uh, our members turned to the Sales Enablement Society, which is way better. But he, he, he was uh, very much participative in those. He's a systems thinker and a design thinking advocate. He's actually been to a lot of that training. And it's very interesting to hear him talk about design thinking and, and uh, me being in the role to actually translate from, uh, translate and say, well, I can speak canal. He means this. Uh, today, he works for TCV, which is a leading private equity firm that's that. Uh, if you don't know TCV, they're the money behind Netflix and Airbnb. This is a business that really, really knows what they're doing. In his role, he works with CEOs, sales and marketing leaders. So his focus is on the commercial process, and he sits on boards of director uh, board meetings and is constantly working with uh, portfolio companies around sales and marketing. Uh, so welcome, Kunal. You, would you give us a little color about, about your background? Uh,
4: thank you, Scott. Thank you for that uh, really wonderful um, uh, introduction. I remember uh, when we met; um, uh, it was it was around my birthday actually. And my daughter had just given me uh, a pen in, which wrote underwater, <laughs> and and I remember thinking like, man, if I'm underwater, I got bigger problems than thinking about what I'm going to write. <laughs> and, and, um, um, but I felt that way about my onboarding program at, at HP, and I remember uh, being past your presentation that you had just given. And I was like, wow, somebody gets me and gets my problems. And I got to meet Scott and we, we arranged for, for an analyst day with you in, uh, in your, in your office in, in McLean.
2: That's right. And
4: it's, it's, uh, we've been continuing to work t- with each other since then.
2: That's right. Excellent. Um, I, I want to tell a lot of other stories. We've got a lot of war stories to share, but, uh, we got to, uh, you know, we, we have a bigger agenda here. Uh, so finally, I want to share uh, Lindsay Gore. So first of all, Lindsay's role in this isn't necessarily a panelist, but she's here to keep us honest. <laughs> and So I want to make sure that we're very, very clear Lindsay's role in this podcast. Uh, but I actually met Lindsay during a client engagement. Uh, I'd been, when I was working at Forrester, I'd been hired by NetApp to run a sales bootcamp. Uh, I don't, I don't like saying teach, but uh, to help introduce concepts to help the sales force sell to cloud. And I always run in, so I'm a huge, huge fan of A reps, and you can tell them immediately because they're the ones that ask you the hard questions. And Lindsay was one of those people during the breakout sections was like, Well, what's this for? Will this really work? And um, ever since then, we became good friends. Uh, we've uh, what we do is uh, over over that period of time. She's been in roles at uh, Nimble and now she's at Microsoft, and we've had a lot of opportunities to talk about what's really going on in the trenches. And one of the things that we're really focused on is really trying to raise awareness and grow understanding around this English to English translation problem, which uh, I'm hopeful she'll join us for a podcast exclusively on that. But. I want to just frame out what her perspective is, because ultimately, if dots don't connected, none of these ideas work. Uh, she's one of the top reps at Microsoft earlier this year or actually at the end of last year. She was one of the keynote speakers at their global kickoff for some of the innovative strategies she's executing uh, to sell uh, cloud-based and consumption, uh, consumption products for Microsoft. Thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. Could you tell us a little bit of background about yourself?
5: Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. I uh, appreciate the introduction. I, I I will say that you know our our relationship over the years has started at NetApp, and I've been at you know, EMC, Nimble, and, and Microsoft since then, and it's been incredibly helpful to me to try to understand. You know, a lot of times my customers are saying things to me, but but my commercial process internally. Um, it, it doesn 't necessarily align with m- what my customers are asking for across you know multiple different companies that i 've worked at, so really trying to figure out you know how to align the messaging wh- why is so much of that translation sitting you know with me in the field and and how to think about that stuff so you 've been incredibly helpful in terms of just sort of understanding that there 's a much bigger picture context um, so really excited to to hear this panel today and and think about what you guys are, uh, are talking about and seeing from a broader level than just my view from the field.
2: Excellent. So with that, what does this have to do with responding to the events around? So we've assembled this session and what we're doing is we're tackling what's going on and what should sales and they want do about it. So before we do that, I, we typically in our show frame things out and After the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a a memo in 1990 written in in the Pentagon that has become what we now know as VUCA. And really what it was is a prediction of, goodness, we were all focused, all of our attention on one thing, one big bad thing, the Soviet Union. Now we have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of unpredictable factors that we have to be aware of. So VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And the difficulty that we run into is none of us really have a strategy for handling it. And what happens when human beings in general get overloaded or have to deal with unknown, we have one of three responses. We fight it, we run from it, or we freeze. And neither of those are good strategies in a a downturn. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna apply some some thoughtfulness here to provide some some structure. And the way that we're gonna go tackle this is we're gonna say, first, let's talk about what's really going on. So with volatility, instead of always reacting to events, let's just pause, slow down to go fast. With uncertainty, it's to factor in, you know what? Maybe we don't know for sure exactly what's gonna happen, But, you know, we could probably figure out common patterns that have happened in the past and predict what's likely to occur. With complexity, it's really two variables, the number of interconnected parts. And today, uh, human beings are so interconnected with each other, we have to factor that in. And then also how many moving parts there are. And then finally, with ambiguity, this is one of the things that uh, Lindsay and I talk a lot about is that human to human connection. There are so many different people involved. All of us look at it through a different lens. How do you make things clear? And in order to do that, that's what's valuable about having different insights. So the first thing that we're gonna tackle is what's really going on. So let's timestamp this. As of March 19th, here's where we are. The stock market has lost all gains during the Trump entire administration. So basically, we're back to where we were four years ago in terms of stock market. $4 trillion of market capital has been eliminated. Another thing that's, uh, that, that's going on is the Fed. So if you know what the Fed does, the Fed is uh, one of the drivers of the economy and they, um, they have a lot to do with banking. The Fed on Sunday dropped the basis points uh, or dropped the lending rate 100 basis points. So what does that mean? It's just a measure of, of, of significance. Let's put it into context. At no point in time during the last recession did the, did the Fed drop basis points that much. Another thing that, that the Fed has done is that they have authorized the printing of $1 trillion of, uh, of, of money. To give you frame of reference, during the, the last Great Recession, they only printed $2 trillion over that period of time. So the, the, the point is the Fed is taking very aggressive stances to what's happening. Now, the question is, what is happening? We have two events happening at the same time. Uh, so uh, Dr. Dover called me out on one of the LinkedIn posts trying to share you know, some of these facts. Was, hey, you only highlighted uh, responses to COVID. We also have this gas crisis or, or, or looming gas uncertainty too. And markets hate uncertainty. They hate it more than anything, which we're, hear, which we're going to hear from Kunal. So as a lot of the attention happens to what to do with COVID, how to wash your hands, how to be, treat people with empathy, what we want to do is figure out what's going to happen with business and what, what responses we should be taking so that we are more productive or proactive in what, what actions we take so that we find the, the, the tactics that work. The last key fact to share is, uh, if you look at an analysis across Wall Street, uh, they are projecting an 8% decline in GDP this quarter. Many people think that's a conservative estimate about what's happening. We have, comp- the SMB space is pretty much shut down. Um, there's a whole bunch of things going on and we're pushing work into, um, into virtual experiences of which a lot of people don't really know how to do. So we have a lot of uncertainty and factors there. So these are the facts. What I'd like to do is ask uh, Dr. Dover to share his perspective, and then also get from uh, from Kanal his perspective about what, what they're seeing in each of their perspective uh, lenses. So um, Kanal, you are in the best position Uh, to comment on these things. You work for uh, more or less a micro economy, if you will. Uh, You guys are the lead investor in a group of 60 or so companies. Tell us what your point of view is and what's happening within your company.
4: Well, Scott, certainly, uh, you know, surreal, scary panic are all things that I think that are going on right now um you know we we i certainly echo any you know the comments around staying safe and sound as we go through this um i'll start with a, a quick story and then we'll we'll kind of rotate into you know the three areas where we see most of our conversations but uh i i actually live on a horse farm and um my favorite horse ever was was this midnight loot who ran this spectacular race in 2007 and he started dead last but, but uh, he ended up smoking the field and, and they were going to originally scratch him because of bad, bad weather conditions. And I think it's a good analogy because um, we start we're, we our response overall has been slow. But, but you, you see like a stronger and stronger sense of, of, of response and more organized, uh, a more organized response. And I think um, we'll come out much stronger out of it. The the three areas of focus where where most of our conversations are one, you know, the health and safety of folks and making sure one they're comfortable working and and can get to work from home in in an efficient way. There's uh, if you look at just the basic, there's actually no monitors left to order. Um, If you go and, and try to order one, some of these basics just don't exist. There's a lot of questions around how do how do we get transparency? How do we ensure effectiveness? How do we ensure teams are motivated? Um, one really interesting fact that we're seeing from kind of a shared um, sales development perspective is the connect rates uh, on calls have never been higher. They're like orders of magnitude higher. Um, so, so people are answering the phones right now, and um, you do see people taking calls and, and scheduling meetings. So, so those things are still working, but but you know that's just health and safety and getting people to work remotely are probably one area. The second one that that we're spending a lot of time on is just uh, ensuring financial resilience, which is working with companies around cost discipline and um, cash and liquidity scenario planning. Um, And and the scenarios, you know, depend on on the level of severity uh, that, that we potentially see here. Um, with, with the two, with the uh, COVID and, and the, the oil crisis, I think that you mentioned. Um, in terms of business strength, if you watch the news, there's some really bad numbers out there. Um, the best quote I heard, which is with, from one of the leaders at VMware is like, this is going to pass, but it's going to pass like a kidney stone. So, um, anytime you see, um, um, you know, the other lesson, the other kind of takeaway that we're providing, um, you know, the portfolio is anytime you see a, a massive constraint on a system, it, it opens up the opportunity to be massively um, creative as well. Um, and you're seeing tons of that in the portfolio right now with with how quickly they're going virtual, how they're driving. Um, how they're, they're continuing to be productive um, with, with how they go about getting business um, in a challenging environment.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Canal. Uh, so here's basically I'm going to, I'm going to restate what I heard and replay what I did. I'm going to put words in your mouth, spit out what doesn't fit. Uh, what, what you're seeing in terms of um, TCV, in terms of the port uh, among the portfolio companies. So a, a sample set of about 60 companies you're seeing in general, a lot of anxiety and concern and in terms of guidance of what your company is telling them to focus on, are these three things: one, make sure the health and safety and mental well-being of your employees is a priority; two, make sure that uh, the liquidity of your business and the the, the financials you have financial resiliency, and um, you know taking care of those things. And then the third thing is, once you get uh, over the hump on those things. Any kind of stress to the system creates opportunities. Please look for them.
4: Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to put it, Scott. I mean, if you look at the the, the financial crisis of past, the best companies have been able to to gain a lot of market share in that time period. So, so how do you quickly focus, you know, uh, instrument your go to market to focus on on really one or two things um, that get the company mo- moving in that direction uh, and on a dime.
2: Yeah, I got to tell you, um, for those of you uh, listening, it's it's hard for me to follow uh, uh, daily. So I talk to Kanal maybe every other day, and it's a avalanche of data. So it's hard to it's hard to sort out what's happening. But that's the speed at which things are occurring, and we need to be flexible and be learn ways to process it, which is a great segment segue into Dr. Dover. So, Dr. Dover, you've been uh, in- involved in this and having both a-, a background as an economist and in this uh, field for for some time. What is your assessment about what's going on, and what are you hearing?
3: Well, I think I think a couple of uh, you know, coming back to your your moment, you know, oil and gas is is if if we just took oil and gas, mm-hmm. if we just took the shock from oil and gas, we'd we'd have uh, we'd be having some discussions about the economy. So, I mean, you look at this, you've got the Fed that's in unprecedented territories. You've got the stock market. You've got pretty much the shutdown of the S&B market, as you've already defined. And then you've got this, as you described, true, this movement of work to home. But I want to throw in a couple of data points that probably everybody hasn't been thinking about. Excellent. So SDR growth. So the sales development rep growth, according to a LinkedIn report, they have the data, they know know how many people have have an SDR role. 2018 report showed 580% increase in the number of SDRs in the United States. I actually did an analysis over the last two years um, with LinkedIn data looking at the economic graph. While we've had a headcount reduction in 20 of the major cities over the last two years we've only grown five percent in the sales role but we've grown 78 percent in the sales development role if you take the 580 and you add the 78 percent on top of that you're looking at a tenfold increase in the number of people who are trying to do outreach right now then you add to that the amount of tools and the automation through sales engagement platforms, which are now becoming the new rave, to automate the motions and the flow of those SDRs. We've never been at a higher capacity to communicate at a magnitude to the, to the buying community. And so um, some observations I've been hearing. So those are interesting things that we'll get back to to realize that we have just staffed up to a level to amplify and communicate like we've never been before, and we've actually reduced the amount of salespeople but increased the number of people trying to communicate to us. Sounds like we're plowing the field with mechanized machinery, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm hearing from the field right now is conversations and meetings, just like Canola's saying, that the conversations are going up. Here's the interesting question, though. Are the conversations going and are, is there revenue flowing? There's a difference between having conversations with people who are trying to figure out how to stay busy and and, and actual revenue, because I think anybody who is at a strategic level doesn't have, if they're having a conversation with you, you're in their critical path. Otherwise you're talking to people who may be trying to find a reason to be valuable. And so while conversations may be going up, I'm worried we may be all getting busy doing, the, doing things that make us feel like we're accomplishing something, but actually just keeping us busy instead of really looking at the issue.
2: I think that's really insightful, and I want to connect a few dots. So um, I'm going to put words now in your mouth, just like I did Kunal, spit out what doesn't fit. So here's what I heard. I heard a massive increase into our outbound uh, communication capabilities that, that you've observed over a period of time. That's yeah. one. Number two is the question is, has that been productive to driving revenue growth? That was a question before the downturn. Mm-hmm. I think your question that people should ask is, is it, how's that going to translate now that we're in a downturn and what happens next? Is that is that fair? Sure. Okay. And and uh, then the next thing that that you mentioned was the plow. So not everybody knows your analogy, which is an amazing one. Uh, what's great about having economists and uh, academics is they get to study things and study trends. And being a never say anything derogatory about Texas around uh, Dr. Dover or um, his uh, his wife uh, who did that. <laughs> <laughs> at that at Eli's session at the last oh my gosh
1: that was oh it was the Alamo it was you Brian it was me yeah <laughs> I I did apologize profusely and then I went and visited <laughs> he did yes we
2: made him go to the Alamo with us uh
1: afterwards <laughs> and made him learn the history but
2: anyway any rate um being uh being a Texan that Dust Bowl really hit Texas. And if you know about the story, what happened is uh, we over, uh, the agricultural people over mechanized and they overplowed, and they didn't do crop rotation or some of the things that we all know and take for granted today. And that led to disastrous economic conditions. Howard has used that. I've heard him. It's amazing. Maybe we need to get you on here and, and just sort of walk through that story for our listeners sometime to say, you know what, this looks eerily similar to what we're doing in sales and marketing and we should heed this. But here we are in the dust bowl. <laughs> so uh, what, 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 now we wanna make sure what were some of the causes that, that happened and how can we get out of it? And I think that's a, it's a heck of an analogy and Kunal, it sort of maps to some of the things that we're seeing about marketing, spending money on demand generation sales groups, building up their own BDAR groups. And then for an investor, it's like, Oh my gosh, you guys are double spending to get leads, but you're not closing business. Is that right? Is that- 100%, that's percent. hundred percent.
4: Everybody, every silo has got their own, um, uh, use things with their own lens and is trying to, trying to accomplish the goal of their own way without kind of cohesively working together.
2: So, um, what I want to do is I want to call out and and share a couple of my observations and then we'll move on to our next topic about what we'll predict is going to happen. Uh, So both where, where Kunal and where I'm alike with, and then maybe this is probably why we're so close. I'm very much a systems thinker like Kunal and I can go in and maybe it's because we both have sort of an engineer's perspective, like to look at the mechanics and the data, et cetera. And where I'm where I could talk for hours and we have uh, with Dr. Dover about history and lessons learned there. So I think we have we have a a colliding force. So here's one thing that I've done Uh, over the past. There's a history of recessions that we've got and each one has their own different characteristics. And what I try to do is plot out what are the driving forces behind our characteristics And unfortunately, it looks like we have two variables that um, uh, that are going on. So in a lot of ways, the responses to the economy are similar to 2000 or 2001, the 2001 recession brought on by 9-11. Massive, massive, massive fear that is uh, safety related, safety and security related, caused by a massive shutdown in terms of in, in terms of travel and what happened in that economy is um, a, a lot of cost takeouts and some micro bailouts, but we actually got out of that way quicker, except it never felt like that because people were too scared. So that's one thing that, uh, that I'm, I'm saying, hmm, these patterns look very similar. Now, the other variable that is uh, more concerning is we had two uh, economic crises in the 70s, Uh, that were driven by energy and those were much more volatile. So we didn't have, we we didn't have OPEC taking uh, oil prices up 400% like they did in the mid seventies, but we have uncertainty and two of those things together in an, in an economy that's more interconnected than it's ever been before are things to cause concern and to take a step back and review what, what these variables are. So I think these, these, are, these are the factors that we've got. Before we close out and move on to our next topic, Lindsay, as a salesperson who's stuck in, in the middle, um, you, in my opinion, you're our, you're our future, right? If it's not for, salespeople have to carry the economy moving forward. You've got to get spending happening, right? So as you putting the entire weight of our future on your shoulders, what do you see that's happening and uh, connect the us? for us of what we've discussed.
5: Yeah, no, that was, uh, you guys had some some really great and interesting points. I, I would say, you know, at my customers right now, they either fall in, in a couple different categories. One, which the category that they're in is grocery. So their business is getting hammered right now in terms of just busy and activity. Um, and they're just trying to, you know, sustain the increased level of activity that they've needed to, to operate within.
2: So point and of clarification, when you say hammered, are they being hammered financially, or are, or are they making money?:
5: They're making money, so they're trying to keep up with the demand, um, and I don't know that honestly it'll be interesting to see where they go over time because I don't know that their supply chain and their systems are in place to, to ultimately operate at this at this level for a sustained amount of time. So I think for them, you know there might be some interesting opportunities to be creative emerging out of this to build more resilient systems. Mm-hmm. For my other customers, I'd say they're very much on the forefront of, of some of the things that Kunal mentioned. So, you know, the remote remote work and then trying to figure out what the cash preservation strategy is going to be and how they're actually going to cut costs. So those are the conversations that I'm in right now. Um, but but really, you know, they haven't gotten to this point of what's the opportunity that's coming out of it. It's a very tight knit group of leadership that's trying to figure out what is the corporate direction to you know, keep the lights on and be able to, um, you know, mitigate all this uncertainty that we don't know how long it's going on for. So I would say those are the things that I'm seeing across my customers at the high level, and then absolutely agree in, in the increase in conversations with people who are just curious to learn. Um, and I'm also concerned about actually engaging in conversations that's going to drive to revenue. Um, and a lot of the areas that we're starting to focus on messaging around is really, you know, are there things that we could do in the short term that's going to save or money um, and enable operations?
2: That's awesome. So what I'd like to do is um, from your own perspective, right? You're a human being, right? So I hate to put you on the spot. Right? <laughs> you're, you, you know, uh, you're the only one that's being asked to say, you personally, how are you reacting? But you represent, you're a human being, right? So you re- represent what's on the mind on sales, How do you balance the anxiety and how do you get up in the morning and get prepared? And what do you think your job is for your customers and for your, for your company?
5: Yeah, I think, um, right now, a lot of it is just about showing up and trying to, you know, meet people where they actually are, um, you know, and be sensitive and and figuring out, you know, what are the, what are the key projects that are critical to business and being driven by leadership that are short term. And, you know, those are the things that we're, focus on you know aligning resources to support our customers around and then what are just some of the general sort of ongoing relationship type conversations with folks who you know do want to continue to educate themselves but who knows what they'll be able to actually execute in the near term so trying to juggle across both of those things and then of course being concerned for you know myself and my family and and managing you know the uh, the new reality of sitting at a a desk, you know, all day on nonstop calls, and uh, looking forward to the weekends to be able to to catch up and and figure out what's going on and all this uncertainty for myself personally. So,
2: so one of the things, hopefully, those people who are listening are going, "Gosh, I wish all our salespeople were like Lindsay." I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope Howard and, and Kunal, you're going, "Wow, how how the heck do we get her into 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 other companies? Uh, maybe we can create a bidding war for you between Microsoft and other folks." Uh but I think the thing that to highlight here is think about that Lindsay's just one salesperson. I'll tell you one thing about, that, uh, about Lindsay. Lindsay really loves to learn about strategy and uh and tactics because she wants to align with her executives. She believes that if she can help influence that, that's gonna help create a lot of downstream purchases. And I think this is what's what's important. It's very easy to get lost uh, in terms of the tactics and the details. But going back to a point Howard brought up earlier on, it's, um, you know, hey, we're doing a lot of things, but are we doing the right things? And Lindsay is very much about am I doing balancing between am I doing the right things and am I doing things right? And I think this is a really important uh, wake-up call for all of us is uh, to balance that. So, Brian, uh, let's take us out on this topic. We've got two more topics. What does it mean for our listeners of, of just what's going on?
1: Yeah. Great conversation so far. I would say you cannot argue with the data. I know, um, but they want to, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, there is, there is a difference between being positive and being realistic. And I think it's helpful to to understand, you know, what is reality here? And it's, you can't argue with the data. And when you talk about moving forward and being valuable in your company, you know, um, what I'm hearing from everybody is you got to focus focus on what in the conversation I'm hearing, you know, let's, let's focus on the valuable conversations that we need to have. Uh, Let's make sure that we're allocating costs the right way and having the conversations around, are we overstaffed in one area and understaffed in another? And, and then, and then, you know, thirdly, what, what does it mean to uh, add value to our customers and uh, if you're in sales enablement, if you're not having those kinds of conversations, um, you have to ask yourself, you know, what what are you doing? Staying busy or, or, or staying productive? And that's, you know, episode 25, if you want to re-listen to that. Great plug, but, thanks. <laughs> and then I would say, you know, finally, what I'm hearing is find tactics that work, understand how you link to strategy. Uh, like Kunal said, instrument and, and understand your role in instrumenting go to market. And like Howard said, you know, uh, uh, move, move faster and, and move more precisely. And what are you doing to help revenue flow? And not, not just have conversations, but the revenue flow. And, and you have to be able to answer that. And that's what this, this first section
0: should mean to you as a sales enablement practitioner and leader. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.